Hello, I'm Danielle, also known as Dama. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alex. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Danielle, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I would like to plug... Um, I mean, it's related to one of our topics <laughs> later on, but um, I make custom levels for an obscure rhythm game, and it's a lot of fun, and people should know about it and play it. <laughs> uh, yeah, send me a link, or, or you can describe them now if you want, uh, but definitely send me a link, and I'll put them in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, it's called Spin Rhythm XD, and it's an early access rhythm game, and they've spent $0 on marketing, <laughs> therefore no one knows about it. <laughs> but there are like 40 of us who regularly make levels for it. That's a good community. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably not um, good enough to make a living as a game developer, but... Oh, no, definitely. We I, I do not make any money from it at all, <laughs> but I, I spend the amount of time on it as if I do, so... It's amazing that hobbies don't have to be gigs, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. That's an excellent point. Uh, and Alex, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything, anything to plug? I would like to plug uh, being married to Danielle. <laughs> it's pretty pretty great. Cool. I'm sorry, this is not available to anyone else. Well, maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Much later. <laughs> Are we ready to start on some topics? Yeah. Sure. Danielle, your topic is figure skating, learning to figure skate as an adult. Cool. Yeah. So I started to learn to figure skate a few years ago, although a big chunk of time was taken out of that due to lockdown and the rink closing. But I had thought about skating. I've always liked watching figure skating. And I thought about starting when I was like in my late 20s. But I was like, oh, no, that would be stupid. I won't be able to do anything fancy. Like, what's the point? And then, like, four years later, uh, I actually did start figure skating. Um, so I have a lot of regret over not having actually started earlier when I wanted to. <laughs> sure, yeah. Because as it turns out, adult figure skating is, like, a, a live and thriving community. Most rinks have lessons for uh, adults to take, and it's my favorite thing ever and also the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but um, it's really cool. I probably will never be doing any triple axles, but it's conceivable that I could learn to do some doubles. And nice. I'm like 35, and I've attended an adult competition, Pacific Coast Adult Sectionals, and I watched a woman who was in the like 65-plus age category do a double axle <laughs> it was insane <laughs> but uh it really shows that like you cannot be too old uh there was a woman who i skated with at my rink who was uh in her 70s and she had started skating when she was like 45 or something and she was amazing like she was a gorgeous skater and could do lots of stuff. Very cool. So, like, I think that people get the impression that figure skating is for, like, people in their teens and 20s because that's who you see, like, in international competition. Right. The commentators always make a big deal of it. If someone is, like, over 30, they're like, oh, my God, this is the oldest of all the competitors here. It's unbelievable that they haven't retired yet. And, like, that's true when it comes to, like, international competition. Right, right. But lots of people skate, and you don't have to have done it as a kid to get good at it. Right. And if you don't 
push yourself to like Olympic levels of athleticism, it doesn't wreck your body and you can just continue being a person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If you're not like jumping quads, you're not coming down on your knee with like eight times your body weight of force or whatever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been like super fun. It's really, really technically challenging, but also really satisfying when something clicks. I remember spending the first like three weeks of classes thinking I've never been so naturally terrible at anything (laughs) in my life. (laughs) Yeah. But now I'm like actually pretty good at it for the amount of time that I've been skating. So I can do um, a waltz jump, a cell cow, a toe loop, a loop. I can do a loop loop combination. I'm working on my scratch spin and my back spin and lots of different kinds of turns. It's a lot of fun. I know that most of those things don't mean, don't mean anything. Can you describe these tricks in terms of skateboard tricks? Like, is a double <laughs> axle the same as a 720? Uh, a double axle... Well, how many degrees of rotation is that? Two and a half times around. Two and a half? Yeah, two and a half. Wait, so a single axle is one and a quarter? A, a single axle is one and a half. The math does not work out here. <laughs> yeah, so you take a half and you add on however many rotations you want to do. Okay, interesting. So the math does work out. It's just not the type of math that you expected it to be. <laughs> right. But a waltz jump is like just the half. Okay, sure. So yeah. it's, like, it's like a zero axle. A zero, a zero, yeah. <laughs> a null right. axle. <laughs> right. And and you do these in a half pipe? Um, you do not do <laughs> But uh, that would be something to see. I mean, in theory, if there were like an iced up half pipe, yeah, why not? You could go on it in skates. Like, I don't see why not. It would be super dangerous. But, yeah, yes. but I mean, well, also, also, is it dangerous on a skateboard too? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot, all the different kinds of jumps in figure skating are based on which edge you're on and what foot you're on and what direction you're going. Uh, That makes sense, yeah. But all of them land the same way, except if you're a clockwise skater, in which case everything is mirrored. But that's rare. Oh, is that like goofy foot? Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. Like, So most most people, when they skate, uh, the natural inclination is to do counterclockwise turns. But there are some people who do clockwise. It seems like it's maybe somewhat related to handedness. That's interesting. But not 100%. But it's not perfectly correlated. Yeah, not perfectly correlated. So how accessible is this hobby? Like, obviously, you need an ice rink nearby. Mm -hmm. This isn't like you're not going to be building an ice rink in your backyard, probably. No, but they do. There are products that I've seen marketed, which are like fake ice. I don't think I would recommend it, though. I I heard that it really wrecks your blades. But what is it? Is it some kind of surface that you can skate on? Yeah, that's not it's ice? some kind of surface that's not actually ice. Where do you put it? On the floor <laughs> or okay, something. Like, can you surface a treadmill with it? And... <laughs> I don't think you could surface a treadmill with it. Okay. <laughs> but could you make a treadmill with ice on it? I, I don't think so. Or a treadmill-like so. device that continually... I don't continually, think that that yeah. would work because the re- it wouldn't be able to turn around, right? It would not be flexible like the rubber that is a treadmill. Here's what you'd need to do. It needs to be half immersed in water. <laughs> you got to like a Zamboni. It's like a, a you got to use the Zamboni technology of like pouring hot water and freezing it as right. it goes. That's, yeah, exactly. Like, there's... <laughs> Like a hairdryer blowing on one end of the treadmill mm-hmm. to turn the ice back into water. <laughs> yeah. And then tra- hairdryer in reverse, which blows yes. cool air. 
And so you freeze the, air, the the water coming out of the the water, and then you melt it as it goes back in. <laughs> yeah. And so it's only frozen at the top. He's got a Zamboni treadmill. See, I was going to suggest I was going to suggest a carousel with ice on it, but then I realized you don't even need the spinning. That's just a circle. That's just skating in a circle. Yeah, you don't need it to move. <laughs> you can just move. You can just skate in a circle. <laughs> Um, But for real, though, in terms of accessibility, rink nearby, you probably want to be able to buy your own skates because rental skates unilaterally are terrible. Right. Like entry level skates are not too expensive. I think I got mine for like 110. Okay. um, Which is like you break even really fast because renting skates is expensive, too. (laughs) Right. And so like how much time... Did you have to put into the lessons before you felt like you were having fun? I was having fun pretty early because I really like that, like, the feeling of getting good at some, that, that beginner's... The beginner effect? The beginner effect where you, like, you have nowhere to go but up. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Yeah, I really enjoy that feeling. But I would say it probably took me about three weeks to start feeling like I was actually getting it. Were you going every day? No, that was just going once a week, which I wouldn't recommend. Uh Uh, They say that you should aim to practice for twice as much time as you have instruction Uh because you don't want to over-practice because then you're not uh, getting, like, checked often enough. Like, you're not getting feedback often enough. Yeah, you could be practicing bad habits. But if you're getting instruction for, like, an hour a week, then ideally you'd be practicing for two hours on top of that. Right. Because then you have, like, enough time to actually work through what you've been shown and what what corrections you've been given. So, yes, in terms of, like, you need a lot of free time to pick up this hobby. Like any hobby. Yeah, like, you probably want to be going, like, at least two or three times a week to the rink. Yeah. Before lockdown, I was going three times a week. And I had pretty much that ideal ratio of practice time to instruction time. Uh, But now I'm just going twice a week. And, I mean, it's not cheap. The lessons are not cheap. So, you know, you have to have the budget to, to spend on Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you, if you ever want to move on to, like, a- actual coaching, then that gets, like, much more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so the other question I have, you, t- you two have a kid, right? We have two, two kids. kids yeah. yeah. Two kids. How did you get the time to spend three hours a week on a hobby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they go to school. <laughs> okay, all right. Yes. Yeah. And um, I'm a stay-at-home parent. So oh, sure. Okay. While they're in school, I have free time. The stay at the rank parent. That's amazing. Yeah. I also, <laughs> I do things other than stay-at-home parenting. Like, I tutor math, and I uh, I make a small amount of money from Twitch streaming as well. <laughs> um, but it's enough for me to, like, pay for my hobbies, so. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting the... Uh... The kind of change in how much time it takes to, to take care of kids changes as they age. <laughs> yes. It gets bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller at different age ranges. Definitely. Yeah. So Winston is three. And I'm wondering, like, can you give me a preview of, like, what should I, what should I expect mm. over the next couple of years? Are you planning to send them to preschool? Uh, he's already going to a preschool. Oh, okay. So you have some time. Yeah. Well, I preschool. use that time to do a, di- do a job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a job. Yes, that thing yes. that is required often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, our kids, I think, are pretty independent. Like, on weekends in the mornings, they, like, make themselves breakfast. And they're five and eight. 
Six, six and eight. Six and eight. Six and eight. <laughs> six and eight. <laughs> it's okay. They don't listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that's universally true for all six and eight year olds. Every kid is different. But um, right. it's nice. Like, I'll be like awake enough to know if, if they need me for something, but otherwise I can like kind of sleep in. I don't think Winston's going to be like that, is my guess. <laughs> well, you never know. That's true. Give him a few years. Yeah, there's still lots of time. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Alex, your topic is cursed mnemonics we never question. Yeah, so I feel like there's probably a lot of these, but, but the one that, that always sticks out for me is that I have a mnemonic for uh, remembering how to spell the word because, which I always use every time I spell it. And the mnemonic is Betty eats cookies. And uses soft eggs. What the hell? Okay. All right. <laughs> and every time I spell the word because, I, I think that in my head, to remember how to spell it. Betty eats cookies and uses soft eggs. Did you make this up? I, <laughs> I've used it as long as I can remember. I assume someone taught it to me, but I don't know who or why. Yeah. <laughs> What's the alternative? Using hard eggs? <laughs> right. And, and what is, like, I never even questioned this until, you know, fairly recently. And I'm like, wait a minute, what does this mean? What is she using the eggs for? She eats cookies? Betty eats cookies and uses so soft eggs. So not bakes cookies. Right. She eats, she cookies, eats cookies, and cookies. in order to eat the cookies, she, she... uses soft eggs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My understanding is that this, and this might actually just be a convention that, that might not be in wide use, that is that when you say use, you mean use for its in, its normal conventional use. And you would say utilize when you mean another use, mm. a different unusual oh. use. So using a food just means eating the food. Although at that point, why not just say eat the food? And of course, the answer is that it's a different, it starts with a different letter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but eggs aren't just food. They're also ingredients. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but baking cookies with, I mean, soft eggs already doesn't make sense. But like baking with soft eggs makes slightly more sense than eating with soft eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I really have no idea kind of where that came from, but it's still something I use every single time. And I assume there's other like weird mnemonics like this that we just kind of use without without thinking too much about them. I mean, I just know how to spell. Well, okay, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> the mnemonic that comes to mind, I, I don't know if I'd describe it as cursed, but um, if you form an L shape with your hand, with your thumb and forefinger, the one that actually looks like an L is on your left. Mm -hmm. But yeah. what if you have and your hands face the palms facing toward you? <laughs> well, then you're screwed. <laughs> You'll never know which is left and right. Yeah, I think that teaching kids left and right like that makes no sense because they don't have a sense of um, which way letters go until after the age yeah. that they can tell left and right or anyway. Order they learn these skills in. Yeah. It does demand that you have looked at a bunch of L's in your life. Like yeah, I, I, just, early, I read a lot as a kid, so it, that it helped me. Yes, but I mean, cognitively, I don't think that they have the ability to distinguish between like two mirrored things like that until after they already can they already can distinguish left and right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's totally cursed. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's great for adults who need to remember <laughs> <laughs> their directions. Uh huh. Right. I just know left and right. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need you don't need mnemonics at all. <laughs> the other mnemonic that comes to mind for me is how I remember my, my social security number. So I don't want to actually tell you. Maybe how you I, shouldn't share that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's really good. It's a really, like, I think it's a very entertaining way to remember this number. I always have weird mnemonics when it comes to numbers I have to remember. And then if I try to, like, explain it to anyone else, they're like, how is that easier to remember than <laughs> just remembering the numbers? But it's always like, you know, like, these two numbers have the same difference as these two numbers. Or like... Or these two digits add up to this next yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Or things like that, where it's just like, I don't actually think about that but it's more like a way of verifying that the number that i'm remembering is the correct one just interesting properties about the number that you notice <laughs> yeah out. yeah i've got one for the planets which is uh well this is back when pluto was considered a planet mm-hmm. which it no longer is but uh man very early made jars stand up nearly perpendicular now it's just man very early made jars stand up nearly nearly <laughs> <laughs> Which is also like a bit of an unusual phrase, but maybe not quite as cursed. The mnemonic for Pluto is you like suddenly covering your mouth to make sure you don't say the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kids have a book, which is um, my very, the, the, the mnemonic in that one is my very excellent mother just served us noodles. And used soft eggs. <laughs> Elephants go ballistic doing flips. For the for the music note for the staff. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had been taught those, but not that one. I can't remember it now. Now I can only remember Father David Bauer Drive. That's not it. The name of a street where where we went to university. The the one that I remember that that is boring is every good boy does fine. Oh yeah, that is super boring, and I think that is the one that I was taught. Yeah. Clearly, we need some more cursed mnemonics for these things to make them more memorable. Mm, obviously. <laughs> Cursednemonics.com. <laughs> it is not... There's no server there, at least. Ah, when I was... An opportunity. <laughs> Cursednemonics.cool. Also no server. Okay. When I was skimming the topics list, for some reason, I read your that topic as cursed idioms we never question. Oh, there's lots of those, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like beating a dead horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, my kid came up with an alternative to that one, which was uh, singing a lullaby to a sleeping baby. It's cute. That that's much much less uh, much less grim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been having a lot of conversations about the meaning of idioms, and it's made me realize a lot of them are really messed up. <laughs> I saw one in a, uh, it was like a review of a product translated from Russian, auto-translated, so like machine translated from Russian. And I'm not sure if it was a mistranslation or if it's actually a Russian idiom, but it was a positive review and it ended with, your mom won't cry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I mean, that's pretty positive. I really love like idioms getting translated from other languages, like not my circus, not my monkeys. Uh Yeah, it's a good one. Right. Yep. (laughs) Don't comb your hair. You're not going to be in the picture. (laughs) Where's it from? Uh, it's from Argentina. Oh. Uh, I believe it means mind your own business. Yeah. Nice. I wish I knew whether this was real or not. The adage, uh, Rolling Stone gathers no moss, meaning if you keep moving, you won't have all the baggage of people who stay in one place. My understanding is that there's a uh, basically the same idiom in Japanese, except in Japanese, moss is a good thing. Moss is like yeah, yeah, yeah. family and tradition. I actually thought that that was the meaning of a rolling stone gathers no moss is that like if you like never settle down then you don't 
gain any attachments. <laughs> I, I, I see it kind of as right. both ways, right? It's both positive and negative. Hmm. Yeah, that could be. That could be the actual intended meaning of the one in English. I only ever learned it from context. Hmm. I guess it can be interpreted both ways. I mean, attachments can be both good and bad. So Yeah. That's true. Are we ready for another topic? Mm-hmm. My topic is, uh, what was the first thing you remember buying online? Hmm. You, you two go first. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if you're old enough for this to be an interesting question. <laughs> uh, I think I think it is an interesting question. I there was definitely a point in my life when I shifted to buying things online. Okay, great. We're good. But uh, I don't know if I can remember what some of the early things were. I mean, it's probably something boring for me, like clothes or shoes or something like that. Do you remember it being a big deal to enter your credit card information? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there was definitely, like, a period of time where, you know, buying things online was kind of viewed as being very sketchy and, like, you know, <laughs> not something you should do. And you only yeah. did it, like, if there was something you couldn't get any other way. I don't think I did any ordering at that time, though. I think probably it was, like, Christmas gifts from, like, ThinkGeek or something. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Maybe it was the Weatherwood. No. <laughs> My mom. I gave this thing to my mom that is still to date the best gift that I've ever given her. I have not been able to top it. And it's just like a weather predict, like a, it's like tells you what the forecast is going to be, but it's like, it looks like a piece of wood and the lights just like shine through it. And I ordered it, <laughs> I ordered it for her from ThinkGeek from, for Christmas, like many, many years ago. And she still messages me to tell me when it tells her it's going to snow and it was accurate. <laughs> That's really cute. I like that. I'm also like trying to envision this as a product and it's like it's a block of wood that tells you the weather. Yeah, it's like it's, a... It's, it sounds very rustic. <laughs> it's just... It's obviously fake wood. Like it, it isn't... It doesn't really look like real wood. But like... When it's not displaying anything, you can't see so the lights are off. That the you can't see like where the light where the digits would be. So when it does show up, I think it only turns on like as you walk by it or something. Oh, I see. And then it will show you the the predicted. Uh, it, t it shows you the current temperature and the predicted weather for like the next twelve hours or something. And it has just like symbols like. A snowflake or a thunderstorm and none of these things are visible until they're lit up right and she just thinks it's the best thing ever <laughs> so, and that's think that's got to be one of the earliest things that i ordered online i think yeah <laughs> the wood station weather display yeah something like that i'm looking at pictures of it here and there are no pictures of it without a weather on it <laughs> Yeah, I think the weather only shows up that like it's got some kind of sensor so that like it, when you're not walking by it, it's just a blank piece of wood, and then when you walk right. past it, it turns on. Such a such a nice piece of home decor. It's just a <laughs> piece of wood. It's just a piece of wood. Yeah, that's a very sky mall. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But it was a hit. So yeah, well done. <laughs> I would look at that product and think, I don't know who this is for. And you looked at it and thought, this is for my mom, and you were right? That's really impressive <laughs> I to was me. right to an extreme degree. I still have yeah. not been able to give her something that she thinks is better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely bought things over the internet, like with a bank account attached to the internet in like the early 2000s. But more interesting 
are the times in like 1996, I uh, sent money. I think I actually literally mailed cash to someone I knew on IRC to buy albums, like the albums they were working on. <laughs> like I bought a CD and a cassette tape from them and I like I, I mailed them cash and I had to like private message them because to like to actually get them to send me the thing because they were like very disorganized and in no like in no way capable of, of reliably running a record label. <laughs> nice. I mean, when I was very young, I had a CD of 2000 shareware games. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and in order to get the, the full version of some of them, you had to mail dollars in an envelope. Right, like ideally you'd mail a check. <laughs> it, it was like $2, though. <laughs> right, right, right. Eight, eight, corner, eight quarters in an envelope. <laughs> yeah, and then they would mail you back like a floppy disk. That was definitely a thing. I'm trying to remember if I ever registered any shareware over the mail and received discs. I don't I think did. I did. I I only think I, I think I only pirated games in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I think I it was for um Castle of the Winds. Oh yeah. It was like this D D esque game. I mean it was like, it was clearly like all the spells were like magic missile and like I, I never I had played D D at that time, so I didn't know. I was like, this game is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I really wonder if that that was was... like a viable business model at the time. Like were volumes of people sending money over in the mail for these full versions of the shareware games? I think it was just someone made a game and they had the opportunity to get a few dollars for someone who especially enjoyed it. Yeah, I always wondered how successful, like obviously there are the outliers that were extremely, that became rich from shareware, but I don't think that was very common. I think more, much more common was like, 500 bucks from your game over the lifetime of selling it. Yeah, I don't think it's like their their primary source of income. I think it was just someone like made a game in their spare time and got a little bit of money for it. Yeah, but if 250 right. people decided to like take the effort to mail me money in the mail, like mm. I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah. That's true, but at that point like like a tiny percentage of my income, I would be just as happy with like postcards. Mhm. The other thing I wanted to talk about buying online was that I registered uh, Impulse Tracker, which was written by a guy in Australia. So I had to send, I mailed a money order to Australia and I had to, like, my mom had to go get the money order because I had no idea what it would actually be involved. I don't know if you, like, do you go to a 7-Eleven or something to get a money order? It's, it's some, or some, like go to the bank, maybe? Right, maybe the bank, Yeah. Um, no, they're like it, sketchy. They're like CVSs, like drugstores and things. You can get money right. Orders. Yeah, just you go to like it's like cashing a check on the bus. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't work because it wasn't an international money order. Mm-hmm. But the guy sent me the the registered uh, the registered version anyway because I tried, <laughs> so, which was very sweet. I thought <laughs> that is nice. And that was like in 1998. And those are my those are my buying things in on the internet stories. Like after that, I'm trying to. I don't know what my first thing was, but I spent a lot of money like buying used books on Half.com back when that was a thing. Mm. Mm. I think we have a a bookstore nearby that specifically does books at half the price. Like a used bookstore. Yeah, isn't it half price books? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, sure. That's the name of a bookstore. <laughs> yeah. 
Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading a poem included in House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. Danielle, take it away. Sure. So the poem goes, Chi dara fine al gran dolore, lore. And the gist of the translation is, Who will heal this great sadness? The hours passing. And it doesn't really have the same... <laughs> It doesn't have the same ring to it in English. Well, first of all, it doesn't rhyme. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much the rhyme, I think, as it is the echo. Like, it's the fact that the second line, lore, is an echo of the last word. The, the word meaning sadness. So, dolore, lore. And I think that kind of is supposed to reflect what sadness is like over time. Oh, interesting. Like, it's like this echoing, this yeah, ringing. Yeah, an echo. Um... But that it gradually it gets less frequent or less intense. Um, and that's what happens over time. And I think it's really cool that in the poem is literally echoed. Like the the, the yeah, answer. That's very clever. <laughs> the answer of how will the sadness go away, time, is an actual echo of the sadness. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you remember the context of this poem? <laughs> I mean, it's House of Leaves. Right. I mean, aside, okay. so, I guess we didn't actually cover that it was actually in the book, House of Leaves. Yeah, so it, in the book, it's treated as if it's a real poem that exists outside of the story. But House of Leaves is like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if any if if the people who are listening to this are likely to have read House of Leaves, but... I would give it like a thirty percent that any given listener has of of this show has this red house of leaves. Yeah, so I think it's like a character. <laughs> it's so hard to talk about house of leaves. Um, I think that a character is doing interviews with other people to find out what they know about the events that take took place, but didn't really take place. And but in the fiction, they took place. In the fiction, Wait. they took place. Yes. It <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, House of Leaves is a book about a person reading an unpublished manuscript for a book based on a documentary based on events that didn't actually happen, but did happen. Even in the first layer of fiction, the events of the documentary didn't happen, right? I think that's right. Yeah. I think I think it's questionable. <laughs> right. Right. So when when I read this book, yeah. uh, I eventually got sick of all the all the layers of metafiction, mm -hmm. and I ended up just. And I think you can tell which layer you're in by the font. Yeah. And I I remember uh, just skipping to the font of the part that I liked, mm -hmm. which was the the description of the documentary itself, which I thought was a very effective. Once you remove all the 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 shell, the skin of the onion, mm -hmm. it's a short, it's like a horror short story, like an SCP. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just like haunted house. The house is, is absolutely just like an SCP. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that the context of the poem is that someone is talking about the poem in relation to what they have to say about the documentary. But it's been a long time since I read it, so I could definitely be wrong, and also context when it comes to house of leaves is always a little bit confusing <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right yeah one thing i like about the poem is that it kind of it answers its own question right like the, the answer to the question is the question which i think is kind of neat because 
you know, people look for some kind of answer to their sadness, but, you know, there is no answer other than just letting it, letting it happen and letting it pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing House of Leaves does that is interesting is it plays with typography a lot. Like the page layouts are very weird. They get very wild and weird. Yes. Yeah. And there's and also it just goes on really bizarre tangents. I think at one point it lists every known piece of architecture that is uh, in the style of brutalism. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> it just has a margin, which is just a huge list of things. Or actually, the list of things might be things that are not in the style of brutalism. <laughs> no, like a like a peach. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it's got it does some really cool things with like a window of text that's like showing through independent of the text around it. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things where if I recommend that book to someone, they're like, "Do you think I could find it as an ebook?" I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah. "Maybe, but don't." <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe if you were reading it on like an iPad mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. No, if you're gonna, if you want that kind of experience on an iPad, you should just play Device Six instead, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very cool iPad game that takes advantage of like text layout, typography. Yeah, same vibes. Is that by um? Oh, what's the guy's name? Is that is, is that by the guy who made uh Fifty Years of Text Games? It's by Simogo, who also made Cyanar Wild Hearts. Simogo stands for Simon and Gordon because it's just like two people. Okay, so it's it's not. Uh, I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of Aaron Reed. I'm not familiar. Who who made recent most recently a um, a series of essays on Substack called Fifty Years of Text Games, where he discusses uh, one game a year starting in uh, 1971 with with Oregon Trail, I think, <laughs> of of text driven video games. Neat. Uh, very very interesting stuff. Yeah, that does sound cool. And before that, I know he's worked on games that are like Device 6, but I don't think worked on Device 6. Mm, that's cool. I'll have to look him up. Yeah. The other um, the other interesting project Aaron Reed made was uh, it was a book called Subcutanean. When you buy it, you can buy a print edition and it is uh, ProcGen where oh. the book it, you, it generates a new version of the book from a new random number seed and sends it to you. So everyone's book is different. Every yeah, everyone's book is slightly different, and you can, if you want to get a sense of how different it is, you can order the books in pairs, and they will be generated such that one of the books is substantially different from the other one, hmm. which is neat. Yeah, and I, uh, it's also a very good like SCP style short horror novel. I, I really liked that book. That is cool. But. What what were what was this? <laughs> we were talking about a poem. We were, we were talking about the poem, and then we started talking about House of Leaves, and then we started talking about right. other text thingies that are kind of the same vibe, kind of weird layouts and typography. I think I was primed to think about Aaron Reed because Subcutanean is also about an endless house. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> It's a great genre. Like it is. I mean, that creepy, that whole idea. Houses, yeah. Yeah. Like if you've played Control, which is like loosely based sure. on SCP. Another great example. Yeah. Yeah. That oldest house is also yeah, yeah. very House of Leaves. <laughs> are we uh, Are we ready for another topic? I think so. Sure. Alex, your topic is my daughter has strong beliefs about the afterlife. Yes, she does. <laughs> this is so weird because we're not we're not religious. 
we have done nothing about teaching her what might happen. So yeah, she's she's six. Yeah, uh-huh. and she is she really likes babies a lot. Mm-hmm. She's kind of you know really obsessed with babies uh, to the point where she wants to be a baby, and she asks <laughs> us, you know, when can I be a baby again? Like, can I be a baby when when is that going to happen? <laughs> Oh, and yeah. and we told her, you know, you aren't going to be a baby. Time moves forward <laughs> linearly. You get older, not younger. So the time for you to be a baby is it's past. <laughs> but then yeah. she 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 comes back and she asks, well, "What about after I die?" No, but she she it's more than that. It's not even just asking questions. Like she says, "When I die and I become a baby again," like she has statements that she makes. Like she's very she's very sure. This is like a um, a rebirth, right? Kind yes, of a situation. yeah. She definitely hundred percent believes in reincarnation, and we have done nothing to encourage this. And she has like and, very strong feelings about this, right? Because she believes that when she dies, she will become a baby again, but she will become a baby in a different family. Yeah. And she like has really mixed emotions because she wants to be a baby, but yeah. she doesn't like. She's going to miss our family. She likes our family a lot. Yeah. And like this is something that she thinks about, like, and talks about frequently. <laughs> yeah. This is really interesting. Like, presumably, she picked up the idea of an afterlife from pop culture or from, like, someone she knows. Well, I don't know. Like, because she doesn't talk about, like, heaven. Neither of our kids really... They have asked about what happens after you die. And I've said, like, we don't know. Some people think nothing happens. Some people, if they're religious, they might think that they go to another place. Some people think that you start another life again. Yeah. Okay, so you've definitely opened up the idea of, like, thinking about what might happen after you die. Yes. And why not fill that with, like, your, your heart's desire that is apparently also like, like she she set this up so that she's going to be like happy, like happy about some aspect aspects of it and not happy about others. Yes, which is interesting. When she imagines a hypothetical situation, she has a very strong immersion. Let's say in that right. hypothetical situation, like to the point where she will like upset herself over something that hasn't happened and isn't likely to happen. And she's very, very, very concerned about the flu shot that she will get in, like, October. Yeah. Like, she'll she'll really put herself in that... She's got a very vivid imagination, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, like, or she'll think about how, like, her birthday is in the summer, and therefore she doesn't uh, get to have her birthday while school is going. But it's, like, shortly before school starts. So yeah. so I'll be like, well, we can still like celebrate your birthday. And then she'll be like, but it won't be on my birthday. And I'm going to be so sad because all my friends won't be there. And like, she'll just like start telling me all these details about this situation that like doesn't need to happen. <laughs> and like get really upset. So it's not just like envisioning things that she wants and wants to think about like she just she just gets very immersed in her hypothetical one it's interesting that she can kind of conjure these like very detailed (laughs) ideas kind of without yeah without any obvious influences Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of a blessing and a curse (laughs) yeah i don't know what that's like because my uh my visualization stinks i am not very good at it at all 
Well, Alex was like borderline aphantasia mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. 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 I have a very, very good visual memory. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like to the point where when I was writing exams in college, I could just envision myself having read that passage and see it again. That is very good. That's very impressive. Not to the point of like a true photographic memory, but like to the point where I could imagine like approximately where on the page was the paragraph and like what other things are connected to that in my memory that blows my mind i can't imagine like a human having that skill like that's just not even conceivable to me i don't know (laughs) i remember talking to friends about um i don't remember the what exactly was being discussed but they were talking about the idea of a kind of surgery where like you can see uh like a doctor's hand poking around under the skin of somebody's face and all the other people in the conversation were like audibly disgusted by this idea Mm -hmm. and i was just kind of i just kind of laughed it off and later on i i searched for this surgery on youtube and watched a video of it and that's when i had the reaction oh but you couldn't you couldn't visualize it so you weren't i think that's why i wasn't disgusted in the moment was because i can't i can't visualize what you're talking about Mm -hmm. like i can imagine that i bet i would be disgusted by that but i'm not in the moment disgusted so like, I mean, it it seems pretty gross to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but part of that is because you can kind of imagine what that would look like. Yes, I can vividly imagine what that would look like, and it's pretty freaking gross. <laughs> right. What I what I can do pretty well is imagine what it sounds like, oh. and that's pretty gross too. Yes, that also is pretty gross. But that's interesting that some senses work differently than others in your ability to imagine them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've I've always been um, better at sound than visual arts. Like, I've always been more interested in making music. I've always had um, a better memory for for sound than for anything visual. So I, I don't know if that's like how much of it is practice and how much of it is just like this is just how my brain is wired. Mm-hmm. That's funny. This is not super related, <laughs> but it, it reminded me of. On TikTok, I found my way over to ADHD and autism TikTok, just because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there were like a bunch of autism TikToks where they were talking about how silly it is that the diagnostic tests are so extensive when all you really have to do is, is hold up two pieces of styrofoam in front of someone and say, imagine what this is going to be like when I rub it together. And <laughs> if they have an immediate... like. A full body, like horrible reaction just to the idea of the styrofoam rubbing together, then that's like a diagnostic test on itself. For, for that, autism? That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> but like a visceral reaction to just the concept of the styrofoam touching. And that, so that sense is very like repulsive? That, yeah. That, that sensation? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my test for ADHD is whether I, I imagine whether that person would be a good guest on Topic Lords. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got an ADHD diagnosis recently, and the process of getting an ADHD diagnosis is like a, a specifically designed obstacle course for people with ADHD. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so horrible. It's it's just there as a deterrent so that not, not too many people take the test. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I have to like – 
send a message to my doctor who gives me a phone number to call, and I call that phone number, and they say that uh, they're going to have someone call me back between this hour and this hour on this day, and then if I miss that call, I have to call that number back and leave a message for them to call me back at a certain time on a certain day. Yeah, this is a nightmare. <laughs> so you're not yeah. even talking about, like, the test they actually use to diagnose you. No, you no, mean, no. Like, I'm talking about the process to the, make the appointment. The steps needed to get an ADHD <laughs> diagnosis are specifically designed to... <laughs> to deter people with ADHD. <laughs> to be difficult for people with ADHD. <laughs> In this case, like that, you're actually just describing getting any medical care in this country. So. That's true. That's true. That's true. But still, I feel like if the the thing that you're using to try to help people with a certain disorder is especially difficult for people with that disorder, yeah, then maybe yep. it should be re- maybe it should be redesigned. We need to burn it all down. <laughs> Yeah, it's like after the third time I missed the phone call and don't call you back, maybe you just give me the diagnosis, you know? Like, just... Yeah. <laughs> you just don't want it enough. Uh, are, we, are we ready for another topic? I think so. Mm-hmm. Danielle, your topic is, I don't actually want to speed run anything. I just want to learn how they do it. <laughs> yeah, so after I've spent some time streaming on Twitch, I have befriended various people in various gaming communities. And so in the process, I've sort of like picked up random skills in random games that I would never actually want to like have to put together to do uh, like a high pressure speed run. But I still really enjoy just like learning those skills, even though they don't really contribute that much to the experience of playing the game normally. I don't know if that's just me. (laughs) Can you you give an example? Well, like I've been playing a lot of Celeste. Actually, through Spin Rhythm, I've made some friends who are very, very good at Celeste. And so I'll be streaming Celeste, and those friends will show up in the chat. And they will like just be like, why don't you just try this? Just for funsies. And I'll be like, sure. I will learn to do an ultra to get this strawberry. Um, even though that is definitely not required tech here. Um, and like the names, it's so funny. The names of all the Celeste speedrunning tech get so stupid. Like, the, <laughs> okay, you need to do an extended hyper bunny hop into an ultra, into a, a wall bounce, which is different from a wall boost or a wall jump. Um, right. <laughs> And then, like, people can just, like, make up stuff with some of those words, and it will sound equally plausible to real techniques that people actually use. Right, right. So do they talk about wave dashing, or is wave dashing just, like, that's actually just part of the moveset of the game? Wave so dashing are... is is required tech for doing the final chapter of the game. So most of the people who've just, like, finished that will be pretty comfortable with wave dashing. But it's like, if you thought wave dashing was hard, all these other things are just, like, way more complicated than that. Like, it'll be like, you have to do a wave dash and then down diagonal into a... a, But you have to to do the the dash really quickly and then the jump after a delay and, like... (laughs) Or a jump really fast after a delayed dash. But, like... Not at the height that you would normally wave dash again. It has to be from a bit higher. And this is because when you 
jump off the ground while dashing. You your speed is temporarily multiplied by one point two, and like it's all this stuff to just take advantage of these like little speed multipliers that exist just in the normal game just to make movement feel nice. Like right. So like for a normal person experiencing the game, like it would feel bad if you felt like friction in certain situations. If you felt like your movement was being dragged, it would yeah. feel awkward. And so there are these like little things that are coded into the game, like the fact that sometimes your speed gets multiplied by 1.2 just to make it feel nice. But speed tech takes advantage of all these little things in the code and has all this like emergent behavior as a result that right, you yeah. can see these like really insanely fluid looking speed runs that just like never lose speed <laughs> because they're yeah. always doing something to keep the multiplier or to like like I, I never realized until I recently did a Celeste mod level but like when you dash it sets your horizontal speed to the maximum of the dashing speed or whatever your current horizontal speed is and so if you dash diagonal when your horizontal speed is already higher than what a dash would put it to, you get this, like, huge dash that, <laughs> <laughs> like, you normally would never have the opportunity to see. But if you get, like, these stupid amounts of momentum from these blocks that move when you dash and you dash into them to make yourself get the momentum from it, then you're getting the speed from the dash and the momentum from the block. And then you're dashing again because you got your dash back because it was a wave dash. And then you're dashing again with all that horizontal speed. It's very, it's very new. And it's really satisfying, but I feel like I would never want to actually have to put that together. Right. So you don't, so you learn about these moves, but you don't even learn the moves. Well, I do learn the moves. Let alone, I, I, I do, learn, I do the learn the moves. I just wouldn't want to have to do an entire level like that. Like, I, I feel like the, the pressure of right. like not screwing up because I was close to getting the time that I wanted would be yeah. too much. Well, there, there, there are neat tricks to know and neat tricks to do, but, like, not necessarily ones you would want to, like, compete with. Well, it's funny, though, because, like, in Sayonara Wild Hearts, I do that kind of play, not speedrunning, but score hunting. And, like, that's a thing that I regularly will grind out, like, just play a level over and over again to get it perfect. And so, like, I have the tolerance for that, but for some reason when it sounds like there's going to be a timer on it... <laughs> It suddenly becomes completely repulsive. <laughs> more, more stressful when there's a time attached yeah. to it. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> like not wanting to do something that's really stressful is kind of like why I don't play games much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many different types of games and, and ways to enjoy them. Yeah, that's true. There are definitely games that are designed to be not at all stressful. And I don't usually play those. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the problem is that most of those games have a lot of dialogue in them. Mm, and you don't want to read. <laughs> I've painted myself into a corner where, like, I'm not interested in games with a lot of violence, mm -hmm. and I'm not interested in games with a lot of text, and that leaves, like, two video games. Oh, I have some recommendations for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, let's, okay, let's, let's, let's have one of them on the show. Let's, what's your, what are you thinking? Um, well, I already have it listed. But Sayonara Wild Hearts is a game where you can be terrible yeah. at it and still get to experience the entire thing. Uh, but you can also 
decide that you like it enough to spend a thousand hours on it getting um, a bunch of world records. That is also okay. a thing right. that can be that done. That someone hypothetically someone, could do. One, someone could do. Yeah, so I'm looking at screenshots of this, and I can't figure out what kind of game it is. <laughs> That's a good question. It is a, uh, it's it? a, a, pop, a pop, pop album arcade experience. A pop album rhythm runner arcade experience. You know, like Temple Run? That, like, sure. uh, iOS game? Okay, so... It's not really like that, but the basic idea of like you are you're auto running and you have to go the way that gets you things is is like the basic gameplay of it. But they're, the levels are not procedurally generated or anything. They're they're designed and they're designed around a banger album. <laughs> okay, all right, sure. Uh, so most of the levels involve riding on your sick motorbike, collecting hearts while listening to awesome music. Or doing sword fights on fighter or, jets. Yeah, or... yeah, doing sword, doing like anime sword fights, or like getting sucked into a VR game, or riding a dragon, or having lightning shot out. You, you know, like <laughs> you know, sure. just regular yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah but uh, the sword fight's not really like violence. It's just like tap the button a- along with the rhythm. Um, <laughs> it's super cool. The vibes are awesome. The music is great. The lighting is very bisexual. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you die repeatedly to, uh, if you like run into the same obstacle repeatedly, then Queen Latifah shows up to ask you if you want to skip that section. <laughs> <laughs> you can play the whole game even if you have like zero skill. And what what yeah. what really hooked me was that you get bonus points for getting dangerously close to obstacles without hitting them. <laughs> oh yeah, edging. <laughs> It's a very cool game. Playing it through once is like an hour or so longer if you die a lot. But the music is really great, and it's very cool. It feels very epic. You get to chase a mecha Cerberus. Um, it's a good video game. <laughs> it's a good game. And if you don't like having to do a lot of reading text, and you don't like a lot of violence, it's... Uh, it's it's pretty cool. There's like some light violence in terms of like there are things that like shoot at you. Sure. But it's not like about fighting. If there's yeah, any yeah, battles, yeah. it's like dance battle kind of battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I don't know that I'm gonna play this, but I'll definitely skim a let's play. <laughs> no, don't skim a let's play. Let me link you my video <laughs> instead. I mean, sure. Why not? I'll I'll skim your let's play. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, I'm curious about this next one. Yeah, I'm curious about your friend. So my topic is, once a year or so, my last friend who still lives in San Diego sends me an email from his phone number. The email is blank, but there's a text file attached to it saying something like, Hey, are you still alive? Everyone has a friend like that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, why is it a text file attached to the email and not just text in the email? I don't know. Is it a result of of sending an email from your phone? Is it like the text... From the text gets attached. I do think this is like an iPhone thing. Huh. Where, like, if you send a text message to an email address, that's how it shows up. Huh. Or something. Very strange. So do you do you answer? I, I do answer, but I don't answer in the form of an attached text <laughs> message, so I'm not sure if he sees it. Oh. Huh. Oh, so he doesn't answer your answer. Well, not last, not the most recent time, anyway. That so- is interesting. Once a year. Is this on a regular schedule, or is this like roughly once a year? 
That's roughly once a year. That's an estimate. So it's not on like an anniversary of something or like on your birthday or... No, I think it's just when he thinks of me. Aw, well, that's kind of (laughs) sweet. Except that it only happens once a year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, a friend who is like... I feel like our friendship is on a knife's edge such that if we ever talk about anything but music, it's going to ex- immediately collapse. <laughs> yeah, like a friend that you could call if you were stranded in the middle of nowhere at four in the morning, but if you have to spend five minutes with them, then you would not get along, like that kind of friend. Uh, well, if I called him at four in the morning to talk about music, that would work. <laughs> Interesting. So I wonder if, I wonder if he's just trying to... Have a, have a conversation about music once a year. Yeah, I mean, this seems right. We were in a band together for a while. Maybe he wants to. Maybe he wants to make music again. Yeah, get the band back together. Yeah. You think though, then that the message would not be, "Hey, are you still alive?" Oh, that's a good opening. It's a good opener. <laughs> I guess that is a prerequisite. What I'm I'm getting the impression that you don't have friends like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have friends that, that, I mean, that I do have, quite this. I have people who talk to me once a year, like on my birthday. They'll like send me a message saying "Happy birthday, right, right. hope all is well." Or... But they assume you're alive. Yeah, they and do. If assume... you change your birthday on Facebook, they'll send it for that birthday too. <laughs> yeah, probably. No, I don't think I have that many friends who I interact with that rarely and that regularly. Like I would say, most right. of the people I, I talk to are, are either people who I talk to on a more regular basis or ones who I just. You know, don't really talk to anymore unless unless some situation comes up or something prompts it. Right, right, right. I, this is specifically the kind of friend who, like, I think we both want to make music together again, but, like, we both have too much going on in our lives to actually make it happen mm-hmm. is probably what's what's happening. With, it was probably the dynamic here. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, like, we can't talk because he has an iPhone. <laughs> the power move here is for you to sent him a email attachment asking if he is alive. Yeah. Yeah, and that that might just render as a text message. <laughs> it might just I mean for all I know like if that that's how you get like like the message to pop up in front of somebody's face like an augmented reality. Uh-huh. <laughs> if any of the listeners know like what would is this an iPhone thing? Is this like a known protocol weirdness if you like Try to send a text message to an email address. I mean, we can just try it. Yes. Oh, do you, you have... We both have iPhones, so this Does is... that mean that you can speak to me or not? You can't speak to me? <laughs> well, well we're, we're talking on Discord now, so maybe I just need to get him to use Discord. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried to send a text message to an email, so... I've definitely done it from an... Actually, I'm not sure if I've done it, if done it, if I've done it from an Android phone, but... Um, back when I had a, uh, oh, I just sent it. So I tried to text, I tried to text, I tried to text Alex's email, but it just got sent uh, to the phone number because it was in the same co- contact. Oh no. <laughs> so I'd have to do it for someone who I don't have their phone number connected to the same contact as and, their email. And probably someone whose email is not registered to an iMessage account. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. The world would never know. I could send it to my own. <laughs> science science must be done <laughs> i don't know if this is going to take time or if it will happen immediately it's okay we edit this show sorry so all the silences will go away <laughs> it does not seem to be sending anything yet no probably... I will, i'll update you if it shows up 
<laughs> okay. All right. We could put the results in the show notes. Yeah. Back when I had a, a a regular like a flip phone. Oh oh oh. Oh, what what do we got? It, it we is. Got? It, it is. Did, it worked. It sent it. The the email is blank. It just sent it as a text attachment. Text underscore zero dot txt as an attachment. Apple is so weird. That is weird. That's Why bizarre. is Apple like this? And the email address that this is coming from is like some weird it's Verizon. My, it's my phone number at verizonwirelesspicks.com or something. Yeah. Bizarre. Okay, yeah. I, I replied, but I don't know if it's going to take a minute again. I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try to tell my anecdote in the time we have. <laughs> uh, back when I had a, a flip phone, if I sent a text to my email address, I would get an address like that, like my phone number at Verizon Picks or whatever. If I replied to that with an MP3 attachment, that's how I could get custom ringtones on my phone. (laughs) Amazing. Nice. That's incredible. That was back, I guess, before everybody just put their phone on vibrate. (laughs) Yeah, I remember ringtones. Yeah. I had one for all my contacts. Well, not all my contacts, but like all the ones I cared about. Any got anything? Nothing. Nothing yet. I'm gonna t- t- test out uh, attaching a text file. Yeah. With yes, I am alive. <laughs> it's got to have that exact phrase. I never kind of realized until now, consciously, that people don't really uh, have ringtones anymore, or at least they just keep their phone always on silent. I that never really registered. Yeah, they don't want to be disturbed. They don't want to disturb anybody else. Right. Yeah, I think my ringtone is just like the default. Because you never hear it. Yeah. It's always on silent. <laughs> huh. All right. I have not gotten anything back yet, but we might we might see something eventually. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those experiments that could go on forever and will be, would remain inconclusive forever. <laughs> yes, possibly. I don't think if you reply to your friend's email, I don't think that he has any way of reading it. <laughs> It doesn't wow, seem okay. to be. It doesn't seem to be sending. So I tried sending it back in the same form that it sent to me. Yeah. With the attached text file, uh, but that didn't work either. But if you ever, if you ever lose his phone number, you've got it right there in in the email. Yeah. 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 So the other thing I could try is attaching this podcast to the email I sent <laughs> to his phone. <laughs> uh, and that's all the time we have for topic lords. Cool. Danielle, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on Twitch with the channel Dama Plays Games, uh, or YouTube with the same name. Or if they what want, was that, what was the name again? Dama Plays Games. Gotcha. If they want to play custom levels for an obscure rhythm game, <laughs> find the stuff that I made in a link that I will give to you to share with them. All right. And Alex, if this is something that you want, where can people, where can people find you on the internet? People can also find me on uh, the Dama Plays Games Twitch channel. I am a frequent guest there as well. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter. And uh, I'm not going to say my Twitter handle, but I'll put it in the show notes. Cool. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having us. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, 
And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.